The first reading is from Isaiah, the 49th chapter. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his land, he hid me. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has become my strength. He said, it is, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation in the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Our psalmody is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace 
of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen... And I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon. He said to him, We have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, or Peter. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Incline. People in the Gospel lesson, they've been waiting a long time for their Messiah. They've been 400 years. 400 years of a dark period. There had not been a prophet in their land on behalf of God for 400 years. That's a long time. That's longer than twice our country, right? When we're thinking long periods of time, that's like 20 generations of lives. 400 years, not one prophet. In those 400 years, what they had to hold on to, which was incredibly important, and it worked, it sustained them, but still it seemed... Not enough at times. They had the Word of God in the Scriptures that had been written. They had a promise of God from those Scripture lessons. And they had a hope that God would keep His Word. Three things. God's Word, God's promise, and that God would be one that keeps His promise. And that, part of that promise had three parts of it as well. The first part of that promise is that God would send a prophet the 400-year blackout 
was going to be ended by God sending a prophet. It was spoken of by the last prophet. There would be a messenger who would prepare a way. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. So they were waiting for a prophet. And they were waiting for that prophet because that prophet would then anoint their Messiah, this next king. And then having that prophet anointing the king, that meant that now that king would establish the new kingdom. And so that's what they were hoping for. The prophet, the king, and the kingdom. Now the people at this point in the, in the story that we got today, they have, they have found the prophet. And the prophet's been talking to them. His name is John. He's the baptizer. He has been telling the people an important message. First thing he tells them is he says, repent. And we remember what that means. It says, turn your back towards the world and turn your face towards God. Come back to your God. Distractions of the world, anything that is counter to God, you put behind you and you focus now upon the things and the ways of God. That is repentance, turning towards God. And the second thing you would say then is confess. Confess your sinful ways. Don't pretend they, pretend they don't exist. Don't deny them. This is your chance. The, the Messiah is coming. Turn towards God. Confess of all the things you've done wrong in the ways in your lives that are not according to God's will and ways. Re confess of that. And then, say you're, and you're saying you're sorry in that confession. Then in this baptism, believe that God wants to wash you, that God wants to purge you of those sins and set you free so that now you are ready for the Lord's coming, the Messiah's coming. And he is coming. So now that they're looking, now that they've repented and they're confessing and they've been baptized, they've been washed of their sins, now they're really looking. Their eyes are on this alert level and they want to know where the Messiah is going to be found. And that's where we get today's lesson. The good news for us is that in today's lesson, we know that God inclined to the people, which means he brought himself in such a ways that the people could see him and recognize him. The Messiah wants to be found. And Jesus wants the people to be where he is. And he wants all this because he has heaven's way and heaven's truth and heaven's life that he wants to share with the people. He wants to be the bearer of this good news. He comes to set us free to bring us home. That's why he came. That's why he inclined himself to come. And that's what's going on. He knows that the people are looking for something that will satisfy their needs. And there's something in each one of us that is not satisfied in this world. We can consume everything in this world. We can achieve anything in this world that we set our mind to. And at the end of that achievement, once we've held on to it for a while and we relax in it, we realize that, wow, that's still not filling that emptiness that I have. And so you go on to the next thing and you try to get that and you try to obtain that. If I just get this, then I'll be filled. And you acquire that. And before you know it, you got it. And you say, oh, Wow, I still got that empty spot. And you can go from one thing to another to another in your whole life chasing an elusive satisfaction that can only come from a right relationship with your God. And Jesus knows about that. And he comes to say, I'm the only one that's going to satisfy that. My, you're hunger for me and you'll find it. You're thirsty for me and you're going to get it. You will be satisfied. So that's what Jesus is coming to bring. And he knows that so much of what they're looking at and what they're seeking for in this world is vanity. They can get the best of the best. They can achieve the highest of the highs. They can do all this stuff and quest after all this stuff. And at the end of the day, it's going to be nothing to them. It's vanity. It's empty. It's like gone like the wind. And he knows that. And he also knows that people, even though they can be surrounded by a crowd, that people can often feel very much alone. They might reach out 
and reach out time and time again, but no one on the other side reaches back to close the gap because they're not interested in anything but themselves. And so Jesus knows that's what he's coming to. And to all those people who are searching, Jesus speaks. He says, here I am. And to those who are looking for the valuable things of life in all the wrong places, Jesus reveals himself and he says, but I'm over here. And when they get close enough to hear him and when they get close enough to finally see him, he will reach out to them. He doesn't always wait for them to come. He can reach out to them and he will say, come with me and you will see. Inclining, the Lord is coming to us. There's more of this lesson. It's really kind of, it's a beautiful lesson. It unfolds. In addition to this finding and the inclining, there is the, actually the key component. It's about salvation. John announces the, the, the key phrase. He announces, first he says, look. And then he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Three parts. First one is look. The next one is the title, Lamb of God. And the last part, takes away the sin of the world. And those three parts, we look at each one specifically. First one was looking. First one is, is just open your eyes like, and open your ears. Be aware of what's nearby. John is saying, I've been called by God to serve God and to serve you as his, for his people. That's my role. I'm a called, I'm a prophet. John's reason and purpose to exist is so that he can help prepare God's people and direct God's people to Jesus. That's his only reason and purpose to exist. It has nothing to do with buildings. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with all that worldly stuff. His sole purpose is so that he could point people to Jesus. And now that they've repented and they've confessed and been baptized, John is like getting all their attention. He says, now look, he's over there. Open your eyes. There he is, the Messiah of God, the Son of God. He's Jesus. That's the first part that's going on. The second part has to do with the Lamb of God. Um, curious statement that he would say that. He just didn't say Messiah. He just didn't say Lord. When John announces, there he is, he says he's the Lamb of God. First century Jews would know this, this, the, the profound significance of that. They would know what a sacrificial lamb is for. We don't. They did. Jewish people knew about Passover. Every year they remembered it. Every year they would do the same thing. They would find their unblemished, perfect, one-year-old male lamb, and they would kill that lamb every year they would put the blood of that lamb on the doorframe of their houses. And every year they would roast that lamb and they would eat it along with the rest of the meal. And every year they would remember that once they were slaves, their people were slaves. And that God in this 10th plague would work to set them free. And that 10th plague was terrible. 10th plague meant that every firstborn male died. I would have died if I wasn't a Jew because I'm a firstborn son. And so all those firstborn sons after that point are dedicated. That's everybody. I can't go that far. Um, coming back to this Passover part. So the Jews knew that. They knew that something sacrificed, that the blood. And so the death would pass over their houses. And then, then the lamb, they would eat. 
They would consume it. It would be part of their muscles, organs, glands, and tissues. And they would consume this land. And they would also celebrate that now they're being set free. So as they're remembering this Lamb of God, they know it doesn't go well for the Lamb. And so when John announces that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's a strange announcement because he's supposed to be the Messiah, the King. The third part takes away the sin of the world. Now, they knew about the world we lived in. We know it too. Again, science and technology has changed. Some, some culture has changed. But most of the key elements to us have been unchanged for all these thousands of years. They knew about how both the most rich, the middle rich, the, the not so rich, and the very poor. They knew about how the ones that were striving for the holiness of God as well as the ones that don't give a rip about God, that all of that category of people, that they, they deny that they commit sins, all in their own unique ways. They deny it. They try to cover up the fact that they sin. They, they try to redefine their sins so as to pretend they're no longer sins. It happened then. They were trying to say certain sins were, were not very important. They would only highlight the sins that someone else was committing. That's called sin choosing. It means that I'm focusing on the sins that you commit because maybe I don't commit those. Those aren't too, too tempting for me. So I'm going to focus on the sins you commit. And oh, by the way, as I do that, I'm going to not so much look at the things that I do that's wrong. I'm, I'm highlighting your sins and not pretending mine exist. I'm washing them out. Sometimes they try to edit them out of the books altogether. That happened then. It happens now. The sins of the world. And the people of those days were also recklessly at times just wallowing sin. And they had no regard for God. Some people don't care about God. They don't care about people. It's just about me, me, me. And at that point, they just go about their business. And it's a sinful thing because it separates. First century Jews listening to John's declaration would have noticed what he said. The Lamb of God is going to take away the sin of the world. And they're cautiously hopeful. And here's why. Because John uses the word singular, sin, rather than plural sins. And in doing so, he's making an important statement. Plural sins would mean that he's taken away all the individual acts of sins that we commit day in and day out, right? He's all the ways, all the ways that we collectively are to sin this day, putting them all in one big pile, that, that what, that's what we would describe as sins. Those are the actions. But when John uses the singular word sin, he's not going to the actions that we're doing. He's going to the source of those actions. <coughs> This Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world, He's going to remove our sinful condition for which inspires all of those sins. You can sit outside a fire ant nest all day long and pick them one at a time and think that you're going to kill the nest. You're fooling yourself. You've got to get the queen. Right? Because that queen's laying millions and millions of eggs. You can't get rid of the nest. However, you get rid of the queen, the nest's gone. John isn't going after the little ants. He's going after the source. He's going after the sinful condition. The Lamb of God who takes away the condition that causes us to sin. They see Him. He has come. He is near. And He invites us to come and see. Last piece to this epiphany for us. 
is now that that's been exposed, right? John has seen the Lamb of God. He has announced the Lamb of God. John then does something that the church is to take from this day going forward. John doesn't sit back and say, okay, disciples, stay with me because in my club, I want you to be part of my disciples and I don't want you leaving me for somebody else, right? John says, no, 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 it's not about me. Go find him. Go get Jesus. And so the, the next part of this epiphany is that John is a part of the solution. John is a part of God's program. John is now getting their attention and pointing them to Jesus. And that's what they do. It's not about John. It's about Jesus. And that's exactly what Andrew does. Andrew and the other disciple, once they follow Jesus and they find out where he's at, once they've had some time to interact with him and experience the Holy Spirit in his presence like they've never experienced before because Jesus is full of the Spirit, unmeasured, unlimited, ever. Now that they're in that presence, the very first thing Andrew thinks, he says, I got to go get my brother Simon. Andrew would not be sad. His life would be empty if his brother would not get the opportunity to come and meet this Messiah, this Jesus. And so Andrew leaves Jesus to go get Simon so that he could bring Simon back to Jesus because now there's more. And that's the message for the church. God has inclined himself for us. He didn't stay far away and he didn't lord over us. Jesus did not come in a tower where we don't get you know, interaction. He came down and he knelt with us. He ate with us. He, he walked with us. He spent his life with us. And he did that for those disciples and those now then disciples so they become apostles because he wants the rest of the human family to be able to come home. God wants his house filled with his kids. And so the church, to be the church, it's not about receiving only. It's, about, it's not about hearing the good news and getting smart. Once you've heard the good news, it's about getting the rest of your family, the rest of your friends, the people around you who you say you love and care about to get them to know who Jesus is. And you can't rest until they come and see. You can't rest. Andrew, the very first thing, he had to get his brother. Come and see. And then in his life and in his words, he introduced him to Jesus. And Jesus does the rest. If they say yes, it's good. If they say no, it's between them and Jesus. At least Andrew did his part. He did the introduction. So church, the epiphany today takes a twist. It takes a twist from just not learning more about who Jesus is. But that next twist now touches us. And it says, now that you've heard the good news, that he, he can be found, right? And that he is the Lamb of God. And that he takes away our sin. What are you going to do with the good news? How are you going to live it? And who can you include in it? God help us be his church. Amen. Let's now declare our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, 
forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray now for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. Your love and your kindness always go before us and always follow after us. If it gives you glory, call us into your light. Direct our daily walk in the ways of goodness. Make us worthy of your calling to make disciples, to grow in faith, and to proclaim the good news, and to serve in Christ's name. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we pray for the body of Christ on earth called the church. As it gives you glory, bless, guard, and prosper your church that all may know your holy way, truth, and life. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for the nations. Bless the peoples of the earth with Christ-like leaders. Bless the land with abundant food. Bless the people with the desire to be good stewards. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for the unemployed or the underemployed. We pray for those living with poverty, oppression, hunger, civil unrest. Let the light of Christ enter their world. Bless them with peace and prosperity. Strengthen them with grace and courage in the face of their need. Lord, in your mercy. Father, you also promised to give shelter in the day of trouble. We pray for all in need, for those who mourn, for those in need of physical and spiritual strength, for those we name before you now in our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands we commend ourselves, and we commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in you and in your mercy, and in Jesus' name we boldly pray. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.